from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Read Graham Allison's book, Thucydides' Trap. That's Roddick Sikorsky, a former noted journalist and distinguished statesman from Poland who was at one point the defense minister. He's now the head of the EU delegation in Washington with a bit of advice for the U.S. when it comes to dealing with China. Thucydides was an Athenian historian and general. His history of the Peloponnesian War recounts the 5th century B.C. war between Sparta and Athens. And he wrote, It was the rise of Athens and the fear that this instilled in Sparta that made war inevitable. Such rivalries usually get out of control, and, um, uh, and this one mustn't because it would just be too dangerous. The impending face-off between the U.S. and China, and of course, all of the key issues between the U.S. and the European Union. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. If the current trajectory continues, the U.S. and China are eventually going to have a showdown. At least, that's what some observers of U.S.-China relations believe. China has become perhaps the biggest industrial espionage threat facing the U.S. Its military has risen to challenge that of the U.S. And China's plan to become the world's biggest economy by 2025 appears to be a strong possibility. Of course, that's if we just look at what's out there in the public view. But there's much more to the story. And on this edition of the Target USA podcast, Radek Sikorsky, the head of the delegation from the European Union to the U.S., says the U.S. would do well to take a look at history as it moves closer to a possible standoff with China. He joined us to talk about that and much more on this edition of Target USA. Mr. Sikorsky, what's your objective as head of the delegation and the delegation as a whole? Uh, with all the controversies in um, relations between uh, the U.S. and the EU. I'm very glad that we have uh, partners in the U.S. Congress who are open to discussions about matters of mutual concern, because I firmly believe that the EU and the U.S. Uh, still need each other, not only you know, in the NATO context, but, but also in setting global rules. What are those problems you speak of? Well, we know that uh, President Trump is particularly uh, concerned about the uh, trade balance in goods, where indeed the EU has a surplus. But we point out that uh, the U.S. is much more successful than we are in the trade of services, and that overall it's pretty much imbalanced. Uh, how do you feel about the way this the the way this problem is being addressed? Is, is it going? I know you're fairly new in the job here, but how is it going? Well, I think uh, uh, 
you know, we lost a case in the WTO uh, and the US has imposed some sanctions on us. There are some other cases pending where apparently we have an advantage. I would much rather for these things to be resolved uh, among friends or even, I would say, in the family rather than um, uh, through litigation. Um, uh, but there are also issues that we have in common, uh, you know, new technologies, quantum computing, artificial intelligence, uh, 5G, where either we will agree common standards, both technical standards and ethical standards and trade standards, or we will be living by standards set by others. And I don't think the U.S. is big enough to be able to achieve that on its own. Just, we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, very interesting point you make there about the U.S.'s size and its ability to do anything on its own these days. But uh, back to your uh, original point about problems. Are there others besides the trade issue? Well, uh, President Trump is right when he says that some European allies, allies have not been spending enough on their own defense. Uh, and I even support his style on this, because when Presidents Bush and Obama said it politely, it didn't work. Um, and he's achieving something. I mean, the, my own country, Poland, has been spending 2% of GDP on defense uh, for the last 15 years. And we, we have the world's 18th military budget. But some other countries have not. Uh, but they are beginning to spend more. We, they, are, they are beginning to recognize the power of that argument. So, but that's not a problem, though, is it? Well, it, it still is, because then they're still not spending the 2%. So it's not a problem with the U.S., it's a problem with the rest of the others. Uh, some countries have been slow in, in, in uh, stepping up to the commitments they, they, that they themselves made uh, at the Wales-NATO summit and before. What do you hope to achieve in your leadership of this delegation that hasn't been achieved before? Well, first of all, I hope that Jim Costa, with whom I have an excellent working relationship, succeeds in putting the, um, uh, the equivalent um, uh, institution in the U.S. Congress on an official footing. And I know there is a bill to that effect. I hope it passes so that we have equivalent... Uh, bodies on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, because you know, as a European Parliament, we're here to stay, uh, and uh, we need a, a, a full, fully legal grounding of our regular dialogue. Um, uh, but beyond that, of course, uh, we need to understand each other's problems. Um, uh, we need. I want to convince uh, the U.S. Congress that. Uh, European integration is nothing uh, to fear, that it's uh, on most issues uh, a more integrated Europe will be more helpful to the United States. Um, the integration piece, it's pretty well known that, you know, Europe and what Europe offers from a uh, human resources perspective is you know, as it's always been, everybody here is an immigrant in some way, uh, and so that's that's not um, that's that's not a, a, a strange thing. Um, do you do, do you find that there is just resistance overall 
in the in the Congress and the folks that you're dealing with to continue this process of being the open type of country we've been? You, do you sense there's a change in the way in which the U.S. government is dealing with Europe and other allies yeah, and other people? in Congress, I'm sure, is very broad. But the people I'm dealing with on the Europe subcommittee and in, in, in the U.S. delegation is, of course, um, uh, is, is, is perhaps on the more Europe-friendly part of the spectrum. Um, look, we share so much. Uh, even our constitutional arrangements, uh, uh, the United States started as a confederation. It only became a confederation with the passing of the Constitution and arguably even later with the uh, result of the Civil War. And we are still a confederation that has some federal features. And so in our European discussions, we often consider the, the um, arguments of the, um, of the fathers uh, of, uh, of the United States and the Federalist Papers in, in our constitutional um, development. Uh, and, you know, we are considering uh, to create for the first time, for example, a European defense budget because we think that uh, for, the, for securing the eastern flank of the EU, NATO is indispensable. But just like you wouldn't help us, ask us to help you with, the, uh, with your southern border, so the U.S. has communicated to us that, you know, protecting your own, Europe's southern border is Europe's own job. And, and, and we need uh, a defense capability for that if, if things go wrong in Libya, for example. Do you need the U.S.'s help to do that? Uh, look, uh, the EU is the largest economy on earth. We are the second, collectively, the second largest spender on defense. Uh, but the resources are wasted on a monumental scale, as they would be here if you had, um, you know, 50 separate defense policies and 50 separate defense budgets, uh, which is what we have in Europe right now. Um, so we need to specialize, we need to avoid duplication, and we need to, uh, to pool resources for some of the new uh, technical uh, solutions and also for, for operations. Um, and, and then we would be more capable in being a serious partner for the United States. So I'd like to ask if you could assess the relationship with the United States. You've talked a lot about... Um, what your objectives are and what you're, what you're doing and who you're speaking with and what your plans are and what you're angling for and, and, and some of the problems, et cetera. So give me a read on where the relationship stands. How do you assess it? Good, bad, could be better, perfect? Well, we have a joke in Europe that every U.S. administration learns Europe afresh. And we think there's been a steep learning curve and that we are in a better place than we were three years ago. Um, and, uh, and, and, I, and the U.S. is finding that we are actually useful on, uh, on, on many common issues. Uh, and I hope we, we, we proceed on that trajectory. Mm-hmm. You've been a defense minister, among many other distinguished uh, positions. I took the delivery of, the, of, po- of Poland's first F-16. Among many other distinguished positions in your career, um, uh, one of the big problems that everyone is facing now, and Poland has since the 1930s, 
uh, or perhaps even before, have this issue, and it's a place called Russia. In the, in the old days, it was the Soviet Union, but it's now Russia, but there are those who believe Russia wants to be, again, what it used to be. Um, what's your view on relations with Russia, concerns about Russia, in engagement with Russia? Well, we've been a neighbor of Russia for 500 years. Um, and yes, Russia is, uh, was the last European uh, colonial empire to uh, uh, collapse. Uh, Russian colonies were uh, contiguous. Um, um, so it's, 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 it's even harder than getting used to the loss of overseas colonies. Um, and the process is not complete. So, um, you know, President Putin thought, for example, that uh, Russian-speaking Ukrainians were really Russians. And he thought that if he sends his uh, um, troops into Ukraine, they would be welcome with open arms. Well, they weren't. Uh, Ukraine fought back. And so now there's a stalemate. Um, I think we need to, to, work, to continue to work to persuade it usually takes a generation or two to, for, a, for the former metropolis to recognize the otherness of the former colony. Uh, and, and I think we're in the middle of that process. Um, uh, but, you know, when Russia breaks a taboo uh, after two world wars that you must not change borders by force in Europe, then there have to be consequences. And also, I think, jointly, Europe and the United States have to clean up our own house uh, in uh, making it harder for autocrats and kleptocrats from around the world um, who often use our, uh, our banking system and, our, uh, and, and properties in, in, uh, in the US and Europe as... Um, as the functional equivalent of what numbered Swiss bank accounts used to be, which is places where you hide your ill-gotten gains. Uh, this is something that we control and something that, that we can jointly, um, uh, jointly clean up. Um, you know, I don't see any legitimate use for some of those uh, uh, vehicles that use loopholes in our legislation where uh, wealth is hidden either from taxation or from, from prosecution authorities. And in fact, if we could um, tax you know, the ill-gotten gains that have been hidden away, we would have resources to do more generous social policy, uh, modernize our economies, or even have change spare for defense. Are you speaking about President Trump? Part. No, I'm speaking about um, I mean, because tax President Trump has no, not... I'm speaking about tax havens uh, that exist both in the U.S. and in Europe, and, uh, uh, and it is estimated that uh, uh, 30 trillion euros or dollars is hidden away with them. Now, I know your president is a very wealthy man, but, but 30 trillion is... Um, is more than even he has. Oh, yes, but uh, the point that I'm making, the question I'm asking is not so much about amounts, but I'm talking about practice. You talk about hidden wealth, and he's refused to make his 
taxes available to the authorities to examine them. To comment on your on your internal procedures and on 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 uh, President Trump, but it is true, I think, both here and in Europe, that you cannot show up at a bank with a suitcase of cash and pay it in, whereas you can show up at an estate agent agent's with a suitcase of cash and buy some real estate. Well, that's clearly a loophole uh, that we need to close. Um, So in terms of dealing with, I think, the origin of the kleptocrats and the money launderers, and I think everyone knows that a, a a vast preponderance of what we've been talking about around the world has been dirty money from Russia. Uh, and yeah, in many places... Russia, all of, you know, all over Africa, there are people who, are, who steal resources from their own uh, uh, compatriots and stash it away. Uh, you know, it's a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I lived here in the US in, uh, in the 2000s, and Riggs Bank, remember? I do. Um, was being bought by PNC. And I think I'm remembering it correctly. It was at that moment when they were taking over that they found a, an account at Rinks Bank near the White House where General Pinochet had his account with ill-gotten gains from uh, some arms deals between the U.S. and Chile. Very good memory. <laughs> I, do, I do remember that. And I, I had an account at the same branch, which is why I remember very interesting. So, you know, okay, that said. I didn't have an in goal or golden gains, okay? Okay. <laughs> we'll ask that question another time. No, <laughs> but thank you. The, the, your point's well taken, sir. The, the, you know, this is a global phenomenon that needs to be cleaned up, and that's a part of what you believe would benefit everyone if it were attacked head on. It is not at this point. So how... How do you get around that to get your work done um, the way that it needs to be done and to be effective in the process? We can pass laws which say it is illegal for our citizens or our companies to uh, hold accounts in jurisdictions that we deem to be non-compliant with banking transparency regulations. We could do that because we never legislate for this stuff to exist. This stuff only exists as a result of loopholes in our legislation. Are there any specific issues um, that you find more challenging than others when it comes to your work with the United States right now? I hope the U.S. takes another look at the issue of the World Trade Organization because we need rules of global trade. Um, And the U.S. has refused to appoint um, people to sit on the appellate body of the WTO. So when companies or countries have a dispute and there is a judgment and they appeal, literally within days there will not be the, the body to appeal. Now, in Europe, we've devised a way of arbitration, uh, but we, you know, the U.S. is an important economy, and, and you've lost some cases at the WTO. You've gained some cases at the WTO. We do need rules because you can't always rely on your, on your power 
to regulate trade relations with the rest of the world because some of the abuses of the of the international trading system are are, are very complex and um, and international in nature. Has the U.S. engaged in abusing it? You think? Well, there is a case, there is a, a, a an identical case uh, to do with Boeing that Airbus has just uh, lost. I mean. WTO has ruled that Airbus received uh, soft loans from, um, from the governments that own the company. Um, the, uh, there is a, an identical case charging that Boeing also received such soft loans. Uh, and, um, you know, countries do, uh, you know, uh, uh, take shortcuts and companies do take uh, um, public assistance that skews the level playing field. And, and we need a body of sophisticated um, trade arbiters who can adjudicate such cases. Mm -hmm. Mr. Sikorsky, um, the challenges that you face beyond the, the administrative, the diplomatic challenges, you know, day-to-day -day challenges with the U.S., but looking outward from your post here at the rest of the world from the U.S., what would you say are the challenges, the other challenges that the EU has to grapple with um, that touch your position here? Uh, and working from the U.S., you see it uh, either rooted in the U.S., or the U.S. playing a direct role in it? In other words, is there something other, are there other challenges uh, at, oh. at play here in the U.S. that you need to, to tackle? Sure, well, uh, U.S. politics, just like our politics, has become very divisive, but what I hear in Washington is that um, there is consensus uh, uh, on China. And from Europe, we think that possibly the organizing principle of the 21st century will be uh, the US-China uh, competition for global supremacy. And for us, this is going to be incredibly uh, uncomfortable because on the one hand, we want to stay allies with the United States, but on the other hand, we can't live without trading with China. Um, you know, a quarter of German cars are sold to China. Uh, with all the supply chains uh, that create dependencies in, in other member states. Um, uh, so how the U.S. manages its rivalry with China is of vital interest for us, and, and we hope that, um, that the U.S. and China uh, can manage their differences in a, in a peaceful manner. Are there pieces of advice that you would offer on this? As you say, uh, the U.S., I mean, the, U, the EU cannot live without engaging on, heavily with China on trade. So what's your suggestion or advice to the U.S. if you were asked? Read Graham Allison's book, uh, Thucydides' Trap, uh, my colleague from Harvard. Uh, because such rivalries usually get out of control, and um, and it's um, uh, and this one mustn't because it would just be too dangerous. So, the other thing 
here, too, is that China has a leader that has essentially made it clear that he plans to stay there until he dies or decides to leave. But in the U.S., we change leaders. So does this mean basically the U.S. getting on board with whatever it is that uh, Xi wants to do? Well, unity of command and long perspective uh, in the case not just of President Xi but also President Putin does give you an advantage in international affairs. Hmm. Very interesting. A um, couple more things. Um, <laughs> impeachment. You've sort of touched on the dysfunction I, I here. I still have to ask, though. And sure. uh, the, the question is not, it's not a political one. It's not asking your opinion of people and this, that, and the other. The question is, as I've spoken to others from your community about impeachment, the impact of this on, on uh, international and national security, the view of people who have to engage in security uh, at home and here, um, how all of this, the distraction that's clearly at play here, impacts at all um, your view well, and your well, ability I to get security say, I done. What I can tell you is that our working assumption in uh, Brussels is that, is that um, the president's party controls the, the upper house, uh, the Senate, and therefore impeachment is unlikely to succeed. So, so but and therefore, you know, we uh, we uh, will be dealing with President Trump at, until the at least the end of next year. So I guess I should be more clear about the question. Impeachment is not the removal of the president. Impeachment is just the job that the House does. The Senate would then have to remove him, and that's not going to happen. So the question that I'm asking, though, is there, an, is there a national or international security element involved with the distraction of key players in Washington uh, in this impeachment process? Well, in that sense, well, yes. I, I mean, the president, uh, but he won't be the first uh, U.S. president who, who is distracted. You know, we had... Uh, we had the Lewinsky affair before that, and uh, somehow we lived through it. All right. So uh, are there any other things that you'd like to talk about that I haven't asked you about that you think are important? Because you've got a lot of work ahead of you, and we've only touched on a few issues. So are there other things you want to talk about? Well, you know, both in Europe and here, we've, we've had a, a, a wave of populism. Uh, you can define populism in, in various ways, but... It almost it has a, at least this one thing in common everywhere, which is to, that it promises simple solutions to complex problems, mm. and um, and I just hope that on both sides we've we've had you know we we've, we've had the, the peak of it has hopefully passed, and that we can uh, we can now find um, more consensual, more sensible solutions. Well, Mr. Sikorsky, it's been a pleasure to meet you, and uh, especially after uh, watching your journalism and watching your political work for the last 15 years or more, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. That's it for this week's edition of Target USA. If you have any questions, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green. One word at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. That's jgreen at wtop.com. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at 
Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast at TUSA Podcast. And sign up for our newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Happy holidays from your friends at Podcast One. Hi, everyone. It's Becca from The Lady Gang. We wanted to say thank you to all our advertisers for their support this year. We couldn't do it without you. Have a very happy holiday season. Hey, this is Adam Carolla. I want to thank you for listening this year and have a happy and safe holiday. Hi, it's Barbara Boxer wishing you a happy new year. And this is Nicole. Yeah, and we're wishing you a happy holidays. Hey, everyone. It's Sheena Shea from Shenanigans. Just wishing you all happy holidays and a very happy new year. Hey, guys, it's Nas and Nadia from Ladies Ladies Like Like Us. Us. We want to wish our listeners a very happy holiday and say thank you to all our advertisers who support our show. We could not do it without you. Happy holidays. Hey, it's Heather and Terry Dubrow. Hello. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Shaq, I know you love being Santa. No, I am Santa. Yeah. All day, every day. Happy, Happy holidays, holidays from, from adulting like, like a mother father. Hey everyone, it's Caitlin Bristow from Off the Vine Podcast wishing you a very happy holiday season and thank you for all of your support this year. Tis the season of giving! And we know you're looking for gifts for your family and friends right now. So check out our amazing sponsors who bring you showmance every week for free. Give us your ears and they'll give you awesome deals. And we will give you more of the content you love. Hey, it's Heidi Pratt. I just want to thank all of our amazing sponsors for making this show possible and every that they do so we can have this free podcast for you guys every week so thank you so much to all of our awesome sponsors we love you and we really love all your products so thank you hey everybody steve austin here and i want to wish you a very happy holiday season and a happy new year and that's the bottom line now stay tuned for the latest headlines from the associated press To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.